as promised, as promised, when the roster turns over, we get the people who are going to make a difference on the Bradford Show. There we go. There you go. Reese McGuire joins us. Reese, what's going on, man? Not much. Just hanging out here in Kansas City. So you were drafted in the first round by the Pittsburgh Pirates, traded to the Blue Jays, and then traded this year to the White Sox. So you've been traded three times. Give me, give me how this was. Like I, I, I don't spoiler alert. I've never been traded in the major leagues. I've never been traded in the minor leagues. So how? Tell me how each each scenario is different. Like, is it like? Do you, is there a different story every time you get traded? Is it just a phone call? Okay, just pack your bags. Here's the traveling secretary's number. Like, is there any good stories when you're traded? Uh, yeah, I would say the the coolest or you know unique one was when I was in the minors. My very first trade when I went from Pittsburgh to Toronto. I was enjoying a, one of our final off days before like a 20 game stretch in Altoona, Pennsylvania, with uh, the double eight double a team and we were all floating the river like literally the whole team and uh so none of us had our phones on us and um i guess that that was also the trade deadline day so probably not a good day for none of us to have our phones except uh kevin newman had a life-proof case on his so he was literally the only one and all of a sudden uh i'm I'm hearing from behind me because i was floating in front of all them and uh they're like hey man you need to you need to call the, the farm director like we think something's up and i'm like all right, so I posted up on a rock and waited for them to float, float a little closer, and then I grabbed the phone, and all of a sudden, you know, I'm making a phone call, and 30 seconds later, I'm like, well, yep, I'm no longer no longer a pirate, man. I just got traded. And uh, they were like, well, dude, like, we got to enjoy the rest of this 30-minute float to get back to the car so you can go pack up your stuff. So it was a, it was a little whirlwind of a day for which sure. Leads but, me, um, which, which leads me, Reese, like every trade deadline, you said it was at the trade deadline, right, correct? Back then? Yeah. I mean, how can you not be floating somewhere at the trade deadline? Now, I mean, like, I hope you were – I don't know what you were doing at the trade deadline this time around. Like, how did that How did that pan out? Yeah, I mean, we uh, – obviously, a lot of teams were making moves and things like that. Um, we figured everything was going to come down to, like, the last 24 hours with the White Sox team. That's just the vibe we had. And I was actually just sitting there eating some food with some of the guys and kind of felt the presence of like the GM and the uh, assistant GM kind of just lingering around the cafeteria. And so me and one of my teammates are like looking at each other, like what's going on? Like something, something's about to happen. And then like, I just kept eating and I finished my food and I was sitting there for a little longer on my phone for a second. And then finally I felt, I just saw some like feet kind of creeping up to the table and I peeked up and they were like, Hey, uh, can we, can we talk to you for a second? And, And then all of a sudden, there, there it happened. So, yeah, it was. Uh, What's that feeling like? I mean, is are you like, oh man, like obviously you're with that team. You have been with that team since April, but you've invested yourself in that team, and you're like, ah, oh, you know, I, I want to get a good chance and a good opportunity in my career. But really, really, is that the feeling? Well, I just think you know, like you, you can't. It's out of your control ultimately, and so yeah, absolutely. When I first heard word out of coming out of spring, right at the very end with Toronto getting the call to uh, Chicago White Sox, of course, you know you're super excited. You know, uh, new situation, new team, new clubhouse, all these all these things, and then and then from there, it's just you know you're trying to compete and win baseball games, and then um, you know so. I got situated there, but at the same time, I I always know that just in this game, like things can happen. So. Um, when I went into that office and, and I was told, uh, the first words were pretty much, so we traded you to, and like, 
I felt like that sentence kind of like took forever for my ears to hear. And then I was, cause I, all I was waiting for was to hear like to who, to you know, like you've been traded. I'm like, I'm kind of like in this office, like, okay, I do know I'm traded. So just tell me the team. And so finally, when, when it rolled off, rolled off the tongue that it was the Boston Red Sox, I was just kind of like, I got so excited to be honest. And internally I had to kind of hide it a little bit because I just, I really was excited. I know that, uh, in the last year or two, just in general, like Boston has been a team I've played against and um, with being with Toronto and the AL East and whatnot and have totally always respected this team and and, and uh, looked across the diamond, you know, almost envious of, of this ball club. And so to be a part of it is something special and I'm just getting my feet wet right now, but I'm, I'm pumped. Are you happy that this series is over? Yeah, it was so, like, it was so weird to face. Yeah, it was so weird to face my uh, my ex teammates. I was guessing, like hitting. It was weird, so it was awful. Yeah, it was bad. It was bad. It was fun to strike out Carida three times. <laughs> I love you, Carida, but did you it, something like that? Do you do you know like how to to because you know him so well? Yeah, I'll tell him he's gonna be fastballs up. Oh, really? Yeah, he knows that. So, <laughs> <laughs> But it was fun. It was very fun. Uh, almost imagine we throw a no-hitter there. It was close in the sixth. So well, it was not a coincidence, right? Not a coincidence. Exactly. You're catching. <laughs> but it was fun. It was very fun. Uh, I'm going to miss them a lot. So uh, I hope that we'll see them in the playoff. What's, what was the most awkward part of it for you? Hitting. Was it? Yeah, like I'm catching everybody there, like some long time, and, and I know everybody what they're gonna throw, and, and you know, it was like guessing, like they're gonna be the same or they're gonna be the change the plan or something, yeah. you know, it was so weird. Was it, was it more di- easier to catch than it is to hit? Yes, like, I, think, right? I think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was easier, yeah. So, Xander, you know, he's obviously pretty upset about this I mean we talked to him yesterday um did you did do you realize like how how much you meant to him like in terms of like I don't know if you saw what he said I know no. that you guys he was just he was basically just saying like really questioning which way the Red Sox are going even though they got Hosmer and everything else but I mean you meant a lot to him I mean he not only meant a lot personally but in terms of he understood how good you were um, could you sense that how hard it was? I mean, it was hard for you, but could you sense that how hard it was for him? Yeah, it's one. First of all, we're playing from 2011 together, and you know, it's we won a World Series together, and you know, I thought we got a chance this year. Uh, the team was struggling a lot, uh, and you know, that team needs a couple pieces. That's it, and and, and to get better and. And get healthy, you know. And, and but uh, you never know, you know, with the front office. It's so hard to to know what they're thinking about it. You know, like it's hard. So uh, you know, it's I don't know. It's it's part of the game. I think you know. It's... So we're, you're a man of the people. I appreciate that. Now I'm going to get down to brass tacks. So when when we talked about. Um, you know, obviously, I, I reached out to you before the trade deadline, but you were in a lake, in a lake, yeah. by a lake. I don't know what you were doing. All but of the above. All of the above. 
So uh, there's a lot of sort of things to pick through in regards to that. But one of the things I always remember, John, and this sort of morphs with the Chicago-Boston thing, is when you were traded to Oakland and how, like, that opened your eyes to the world. Um, and you, you came to understand how awesome Chicago was. I, 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 you know, I think that you like Chicago a lot, correct? Yeah. Okay, Courtney, you're welcome. Thank so, you. I, I needed to hear that. I needed the yeah. reassurance. But, yeah. but, but if you don't go to Oakland, you, you might never know how awesome Chicago is. Because it, we're going through the whole thing now with these guys about, you know, Xander just wants to stay there. You know, this is all he knows. And so is that true? It, and we've talked a little bit about it before. But is, is just going somewhere and realizing, hey, the world isn't flat, is that a real thing? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, you know, especially a guy like Xander and Devers. I mean, they're they're homegrown guys. They've been there since, you know, I, I call it growing up in the organization, right? Like you you were kind of brought along as a kid to a man to now you're these guys are superstars there in, in New England. So and, and when you don't know anything other than the pressure of being in Boston, you know, when you it's just it's just kind of natural. You don't know anything else like you don't. When I got to Oakland, man, it was like I had three reporters there, you yeah. know, and, and that was the that was the introductory press conference with me and Johnny sitting there. And there's three people, you know, Jeez. so it's like you kind of go, whoa, where, you know, where am I? You know, and, and then going out, I think the other part is going out to the West Coast and seeing the other side of baseball because it really is different. You know, you, you've got East Coast baseball, which everybody watches. And then, you know, really anybody from Chicago over doesn't really stay up and watch West Coast baseball unless they're yep. from there. Yep. You know, so by the time you get home from the games, there's no MLB games on. There's you've got the seventh running of quick pitch, you know, already by the time you get back. <laughs> so it, it's it's just a different world. So I think that really opened my eyes to things. And, and you know, I had conversations with with Ian Happ Um you know, I, I pay attention to, to, to my buddies and, and see where they're at. And, uh, you know, I got a text when, when Harrison Bader got traded and talked to him a little bit. You know, he's only known St. Louis and, and Ian's only known the Cubs. And, um, you know, these guys have invested their lives and, and money and their their time into these communities. And, you know, you almost feel like, for lack of a better term, you get kind of stabbed in the back when they let you go. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and and I think that's where people get lost sometimes and fans get lost with, you know, with athletes in general is, you know, we're people, we have hearts, we have brains, you know, and we invest everything we have into these cities. You know, some of us yep. have foundations, some of us do things behind the scenes in those cities that, um, you know, really mean something to us. So when, when these things happen, you know, it's a gut punch. Um, but to answer your question, yes. I mean, when you when you're able to go to another city and another community and make a home, and realize that baseball is baseball, um, you know, it makes it made my decision. It didn't make it any easier, but I think it helped me realize that you know the the grass can be greener on the other side. Um, and if you don't know that, you're always going to stick on your side of the yard. You know what I mean? Like it's, yeah. it's yeah. always yeah. You're always going to lean towards. Like in my in my instance, I always lean towards Boston. Anytime I would talk about Chicago or um, San Francisco or whoever, like I'd always come back. Well, Boston has this, you know, or or Boston is this, or I know these people there. I know 
the spring training facility. I, you know, so it was always coming back to comfort. Um, Cause at the end of the day, man, we all like comfort, right? Like right. we, all, well, we all know it. I think, so the, the obvious question is, and I can't remember if I've asked you this before, but if you don't get traded in the simplest way to phrase it, if you don't get traded to Oakland, you ride out the year in your mind, we don't know what the future, we don't know. It's a hypothetical in your mind. Are you a bo- member of the Boston Red Sox? The rest of the way. Um, I, I mean, I, I would, I would think so. And, I, and, and here's the reason why I would think so. I would think that other, especially like a guy like Theo, those guys would think that I'm not leaving Chicago. I mean, I'm not leaving Boston. So they're not really going to put the full court press on you. You know, like, does that make sense? Like, yeah, yep. I feel like when I got traded, it kind of sent out <clears throat> a signal like I'm not coming back to Boston in, in the in the baseball world. Um, I think if you stay there and you stay out, you stay till you get to free agency. It, like I like I was saying earlier, it becomes harder to leave that comfort. You, you know what I mean? So sure. I think I think other teams aren't going to put that full court. And everybody knew I wanted to stay. Right. Like I made that vocal. I made yeah. that very clear. And I think that if I would have finished out that year, I don't think the 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 offers and the uh, the amount of offers and the amount of interest would have been there as me going to Oakland. So, I, I mean, I don't I you know, I can't go back and say I would have ended up staying because, you know, Chicago still could have come in and sure. done what they did or another team done with, you know, what Chicago did. Um but I think if you if you end up staying out that whole year, it does it still becomes hard to a little bit harder to leave. But I think you know, and John, I was thinking about this with Xander's situation. Obviously, like Rafi's up after next year, so it's a little different. Like a guy like JD Martinez and Nathan Avaldi, they've been to other places, but Xander hasn't been to other places. And this is yeah. when they say we're not trading you, we're saying I'm thinking. I, I immediately thought of your situation, same sort of deal. And everyone's yeah. different. I get it. But still, I mean, we, we we take the evidence that we're presented from history, right? Correct? Put that yeah. on the bumper sticker. Well, and I think I think I think at the end of the day, too, you know, a guy like like Bogey and a guy like Devers who who have made some money. Um, at, at the end of the day, man, like when it comes down to when you want to stay somewhere, it's not always about the bottom dollar. You know what I mean? Like. You treat you treat these guys fairly. You treat them with respect. You handle the situation correctly. They're going to end up taking less money. You're you know the business side will prevail. They, the business side will win if you treat people like a person, not just the number on his back. And you know I think that gets lost. And I'm not I'm not singling out Boston. We're just talking about these guys because that's everywhere in in the game. Sure. Um, but if you if you treat if you treat the guys like human beings and that they have a heart and that they want to be there, they're not gonna always. You know, there's some, there's always the like we just talking about the guys that complain about the you know the free beers. There's always gonna be somebody that wants the bottom dollar, and that's fine. That's your prerogative. But the other majority, I think, is like, hey man, listen, you treat me fairly, you do this respectfully. I'll get. I'll. I'll, I'll come your way. You come my way. Give respect, get respect. I mean, exactly. that and, and, and honestly, and honestly, like, you know, and we all know your situation with the four and 70 and everything else like that. And how that made everything difficult. Um, but the, you know, with Xander, it's, it's, it's tricky. I'm not going to lie. I mean, it's tricky because right now it doesn't feel like, like they'll say we want Xander forever, but still, okay, well show us a little bit more. 
And yeah, yeah. But I mean, see, that's the business side of it, man, and that's the hard part because you can't. The hard part about baseball and really any any sport is you can't be upfront with anything because now everybody's got their angles on. Oh yes. You know what I mean? Somebody's yes. got something to say about something, and they're going to dissect it, and they're going to bad mouth Bogey, or they're going to bad mouth the front office, or they're going to do whatever. You know what I mean? So like that's the hard part. That was one of the hardest parts about my situation is being quiet about it. Yeah. You know, because, yeah, because, because you don't, like, I still play for these people. You don't want to badmouth them or, yes. or put them in bad light. And I don't want them to do the same to me. So, you know, like, we're, like, like my big thing was when we turned down the deal in spring training, I mean, $70 million is a lot of money. Like, let's, let's, let's talk about that. Like we're talking about the percentage of people that are going to have negative things to say, like there's going to be somebody that comes out and says, well, he's greedy. He turned down 70 million. You know what I mean? So there's always a way to spin this to either make somebody like one side or the other look bad. So that's why both sides walk on eggshells so much and they don't give you anything because it's, it's nobody wants to be in bad light. Well, right. So it becomes very difficult. Yeah. And John, like, you know, I, from my perspective, having gone through that from, from my perspective with you, um, you know, I, I knew that, yeah, yeah, $70 million is a lot of money. I get that. But also it was well below market value. Everybody knew that. Everybody knew the tax that they were taking. Yeah, I mean, um, that's but, not the point. But, in your, but your agent, to, to, and everyone's like, well, where's the counter? Where's the, well, here's the thing. You have to find a middle ground. And, and if, if, if you go high, too high, then they leak it. Then everyone says that you're greedy. This is exactly yeah. what you're talking about. Well, John, I mean, John, you, it could it could always be worse. You could be Juan Soto, right? I was just I mean, about to say Juan Soto, Aaron Judge. They, you they could, both you could be them. <laughs> yeah, well, you could be like them. Like I said, like I said, everybody everybody's got their own prerogative and their own position. Right. And you know, I, I said the same thing. I, I love I love Juan. Um, we all know, do. A few months, yeah. The few months I was there was very, very impressed by this kid and, and his work ethic and the way he goes about his game and the way he goes about his business. And, you know, I saw, I saw him turn down the deal and, you know, kind of the same thing as a fan, you're sitting there going, Holy, you know what, like, mm-hmm. damn dude. And then, you know, you get to kind of break it down and you're talking about market value and AAVs and all this other stuff. And you're like, okay, well, I see that side of it as well. You know, so it's, the whole thing, man, it, 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 you got you got to stay even keeled with everything. And, I mean, $400 million is $400 million. I mean, that's no matter how you look at it. But, Correct. I mean, Correct. That's, 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 a that's, that's a lot of beer. That's a lot of beer right there. Yeah, I mean, that's his decision at the end of the day. I mean, he's got he's to gotta live with it one way or the other. And, and, you know, I think, you know, the Nats obviously aren't in a good place as far as being competitive, which, you know, I know – I know Rizzo, Mike Rizzo over there, he's going to turn that around in a hurry. Um, and it's a great organization, a great place to play. But I think, you know, I think it gives Juan now an opportunity to go play and, and succeed this year and next year and, and kind of see what happens. Hey, so, John, so along the lines of the, the, you know, we, listen, when you retired, we did a lot of stories. We, we reflected a lot just like we're doing now. But the, we keep coming back to what happened, like how you basically – your, it was a chain of events after you left. We know this. And, and we're reminded of this again today. Chris, Chris Sale breaks his wrist, falling off a bike. And, and so, did you hear about this? No, I didn't. Oh, yeah. So, he's out for the year. He fell off a bike and broke his wrist. 
So, um, but we always say like, well, if, you know, because they made the decision they made with you, it sent this chain of events where they were chasing their tail all the way up until, by the way, when I talked to Chris Hill this spring training, I said, did you realize when the ownership sat down in that year that they gave him the extension 2019 and said, we screwed up the John Lester negotiations. Did you realize that that was basically opening the door to giving you your contract? And Chris Sale, John, said, yes, right then and there I knew it. And I actually tried finding John Lester later in the year to go thank him. Right? <laughs> so he said that to me. So, so do you, I know that you, 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 you know, you, hear this stuff but do you understand this like looking back at it like the the chain of events that sent them down yeah but i mean you can do that with anybody you know i mean you could do that when pedro left when Derek lowe left when you know shill and all these other guys i mean it, it's it's the same same for every organization and and um you know i, I like I like I've always I've always taken the stance like the Red Sox had had a, a job to do the ownership has a job to do and that job is to put the best players out there that they feel are, are the best for their team for that year and you know I had to learn that unfortunately not a very fun way but you know and then I went through it again with the Cubs you know like you 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 have to try to figure out a way and it was easier the second time than it was doing it with the Red Sox, obviously, because drafted and coming up with them and, and having good times and all that stuff. But going into to that whole conversation, like you have to separate your mind from your heart. And it's a very, very hard thing to do. And like I said, the second time, I was able to do that a little bit more or a little bit easier uh, with the Cubs. And I was able to separate that and go, hey, Okay, Jed, I get it. I get what you're doing. You you have to move on. I know I didn't pitch well, you know, yada yada. I got to go find another job. Cool. Uh, we're we're good. Did it hurt? Yeah, but you have to separate that mind from your heart. And like I said, man, I understood. And they they had a business to run. They got to they got to go get the next guy that they feel is going to be the best for their for their team. And and they did that. Uh, so what's it what's it been like what's what have you been doing what's the prognosis um today was uh, you know a good day just kind of starting off the swing progression uh, i've swung the fungo um you know, the last two days and um so today was kind of the first day of doing that uh with my regular bat off the tee and um you know volume was really light just kind of working back into it felt good you know um so i'm looking forward to the uh, next couple of days and um, progressing a little bit more so that was the first today was really a huge step right i mean because you hadn't swung a regular bat at all right when was the last time you did that right before you found out it was uh yeah uh, yeah, yeah. Right before we found out uh you know about the fracture and uh yeah, I think so. Probably two and a half, you know, two weeks ago. Okay. What was that like? I, we saw you swinging, and were you like, oh, "This doesn't feel right. What's going on?" And then they said, "Oh, you. By the way, you have a small fracture." You probably were like, "Whoa, whoa, what?" Yeah, it was a. Uh... <laughs> You know, the you know kind of the initial diagnosis. Um, you know, we had a bone bruise, and we were uh, you know 
typically I think you can kind of work, you know, you can work through some things there. And I think, you know, after about two weeks, you know, the two week mark, you know, I just didn't feel like it was getting that much better. And I was like, you know, just making sure I wouldn't be in a wuss about it, you know, and because, um, you know, you, we got to learn to play through, you know, a lot of different injuries and, you know, we feel like everyone's banged up. So um, I, just, I just felt like that it wasn't, uh, you know, some, someone right, you know, and then, uh, you know, the, the more imaging kind of showed that, you know, down the hand, yeah, where I was kind of feeling the symptoms more so than where I got hit. That was, uh, you know, that was so it's, it's almost down like yeah, where the wrist meets the hand, almost, right. yeah, because uh, I got hit here, you got hit right near the knuckles, hit, yeah, crushed on the knuckles here, and yeah. The fracture happened down here. Is and do they say like how that happens? Yeah, it was the way it was explained to me was you know it's like I pretty much punched the ball, right? So yeah, the force there kind of traveled here, traveled down this metacarpal here. Wow, it was almost like a it almost like pulled up. Like I mean, that. so you literally must have hit the ball square like a punch. Yeah, it was a it was squared up punch. Yeah. Right. It was, uh, Obviously not ideal. <laughs> yeah. What? So, what's the prognosis now? What do you? What? You're, you're swinging the bat. I know that people will hate timetables, but yeah. uh, you know that's what we do. I know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And like you said, you know, timetables are, you know, give or take. Just especially with something like this, you know, it's uh, depending on how it bounce back and. Um, yeah, I think it's more about, you know, the load of the bat, uh, you know, because the fungo, you know, fungo no problem, and then, you know, the bat no problem today, and so it's just about um, managing that, you know, the load in my hand and the volume of which I'm doing it, so, um, you know, hopefully in, you know, the next couple weeks, you know, we're, we're, we're close, and it's hard to put it. So you, you can't, when you swung today, you couldn't feel it, it wasn't bothering you? Yeah, it felt good. Okay. So, I mean, going through this, I mean, it goes without saying it's frustrating. And I hate the word frustrating because it's overused. But it's, you know, this is, this is the meat and potatoes of the season and everything else. Mentally, have you, had you ever had to go through anything like this before? Yeah. Yeah, I have, you know, in 2016, um, my rookie year when I, you know, I felt like, uh, you know, I was, I was playing pretty well and then I just, or the ligament in my thumb and that missed the last two months and yeah, that was tough that was uh, probably the, the hardest you know thing i've had to deal with in baseball um, hey, you, you hadn't had anything like that before yeah. just you know kind of realizing the dream of being in the big leagues and playing well and then you, know, you get it taken away from you like that and, uh, so yeah definitely uh not the first time and, but you know it's it's tough for for me you know i think I love, you know, playing every day is my, you know, that's my calling card, and I think, uh, you know, you get so used to that, so regimented, you know, mentally and physically that that becomes a part of you, you know, and when, uh, when you can't do it every day, then, like you said, very frustrating, and, um, just try to find ways to help the team and keep yourself busy is, is uh, the way I try to go about it, you know, try to, try to be as positive as you can, because, is not gonna, not gonna help. Were you hanging here sure, when they're on the road? Yeah, just yeah. the last road trip. Yeah. Okay. Well, did you draw on anything? I mean, it's a, sort of a cliche question, but did you draw on anything um, from that 2000, from six years ago, I guess? Yeah, I think, honestly, the, uh, you know, being on the aisle is never, uh, never fun. You know, more than anything, for 
perspective always hits me, I think, when I do go on the IL of uh, getting to play the game, you know? <laughs> How much I, I really do love to play the game, and it's like when you know when you can't do it, whether it's via injury or, or something else, then that's what you know comes back to me more than anything. It's like, damn, man, I'm, I miss playing. I'm, you know, it's, just, it's a part of me, and you, know, you can't wait to get back. So, so Pap, uh, there's a lot to get to here. Number one, so... When you talk about your entry music, since we were talking about it, I had heard that you wanted to change it. Is that true? Did you want to change it at one point? No, no. Actually, it originally, I first came out to, uh, you know, Wild Thing, right? Well, then uh, Sarah McKenna, who has been with the Red Sox for years, takes care of the wives, and you know, i got to give her props, man. She was like, you know, we got to step this up. And I was like, let's step it up. You know, and so she got in, ta- in contact with. Uh oh, broke. It's, it's all it's all downhill after that. <laughs> well, we lost you there for a second, but we get the gist of it. So, uh, all right. Well, and you're proclaiming best of all time, best entrance music of all time. No question. I mean, you got to look at a lot of different things when 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 it comes into the, into play. Number one, the fans. The fans of Boston went absolutely – I'm not even allowed to cuss, am I? They went nuts, right? And, um, you know, I mean, yeah, you know, Yankee Stadium with Mo, it was all great and everything, but, you know, it just didn't have the same effect. Now, I will say Diaz is a close second Ooh. to Cinco Ocho. Oh, all right. Then and you I had got the, Mo, you had the, then you I had got the, Hoff. You had the great idea on the podcast about selling trumpets to the fans. Yeah, did they listen to me or no? Uh, they may. Have or do we need to do that, Rob? Uh, well, I mean, I, mean, we, I know we, you we got can... a daughter's wedding to cut, to pay for here soon, so um, you know, I think that could be a little spare cash it, for you. It is true. The open bar is going to swing on whether or not I can sell trumpets for the Edwin Diaz. Rob, you're going to be out in Flushing Meadows just selling trumpets on the sidewalk. All right, hey, listen, Pap. So, uh, all right, we've we've got to, we got that out of the way. Best walk-in music of all time. Brian Barrett's here, and he has a question about which I think is going to scratch right where you itch. Okay, go ahead, Brian. Okay, Pap. So, did you see the game a couple of weeks ago when Sale got his finger injured? Yes, I did. Okay, so in the, the first games. yeah. Okay, yeah. Okay, so in the first inning, of course, Rafi had been owning Cole, so Cole knocked him down, right? In that first inning, Rafi kind of looked back at him. I'm wondering this. So today or tomorrow, if there's a blowout, either way, should somebody on the Red Sox knock down a Yankee? No question about. That's a dumb question. Dumb question. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, they haven't yes reacted yet. Yes. That's my yes. problem. Yes. And, and, well, see, this is the problem with the game today is it's changed, and, you know, you throw at people now, and then you got you get suspended and all the other BS, and it's like, just let the players police the game. That's what I miss about the game now is you look in the past, and the players were the ones who policed the game, not the damn umpires or the coaches or any of them. It was the players, and that is what the game has lost. And – you know, like, here's another thing, too, is this whole Tatis stuff, man, like, man, I'm, it, it, it almost enrages me because, you know, I worked my ass off for so much, so hard, and did it the right way, you know? And 
for me to see stuff like that, man, it just man, it hurts me so bad. And, and like I tell you right now, that if I was pitching, every single time I face that dude, I'm drilling him. I don't care if I'm bringing in a run and losing the game. That's why we need you back in the game, Pap. Well, That's why we need you. I mean, well, Pap, I don't know if you saw. So his, it's not a lot of times where you see the teammates throw a guy under the bus as well. I mean, so I don't know. Oh yeah. You well, see it's that? half of them. I don't know if you saw it. They 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 were saying, you know, hey, he ain't been here all year. We ain't needed him, so we don't need him anymore. So I think that his teammates are pissed off about it. Number one, because now they got to answer all these damn questions about it instead of focusing on. What really matters? You see what I'm saying? And so, in my opinion, uh, as this continues, the Padres are just going to just fall by the wayside. <laughs> well, who was the player? So, I had gave an example of a guy. Uh, you remember Brendan Donnelly? You remember him? Yeah. Yeah. So, yes. he actually, I remember he came back. And I was trying to remember the guy. He came back and he, he said on the record, he's like, I came back for the sole purpose of hitting this guy. Like he did not like a certain guy. I don't know who it was, but uh, yeah, it, it it was it was um, Joey. Uh, I don't know. He played for the Mariners. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So, so you know exactly what I'm talking about. So, was there a guy yeah. that was there a guy that you like disliked? Where he's like, hey, man, if I don't either, I'm going to brush him back. I'm going to make him uncomfortable, or maybe I'm going to give him one in the ribs. Yeah. Okay. Randy Machado. Uh, Sammy Sosa, I mean, dude, I could go on and on. But the thing is, though, is it's a mutual respect from the players, and all that is gone, Rob. Like, it's all gone. And so I, I feel like that's what's missing from the game. And, um, you know, I mean, it's one of those things now where, I mean, look, if if you're not protecting your team, I mean, you just, it, it, it's it's like – do you want to give in to the bully on the block and keep getting your ass kicked every day, or are you going to punch back? You know what I mean? Well, uh, let me ask you this. So, to Brian's point, how impactful is it when you do get in a scrap with somebody, when somebody does do that for your team? And, and obviously, uh, you know, you can go back. You had a few of these. But how impactful is it for a team – to, to have that sort of unity and ha- know that you have each other's backs and know that, yeah, you bet the bullpen's emptied out and, and we're getting into it with it. Uh, is that like, is that a cliche thing or is it a very real thing that can help a team? Absolutely not. Rob, let me answer this question, right? Yes. What happened? Okay. For all the years, I mean, you could go back from to the seventies to the early two thousands with the Red Sox Yankees beat up the Red Sox, beat them up, beat them up, beat them up. Okay, well, then what happened when Pedro comes along and then Shill comes along and all these guys that are saying, you know what, we're not going to take this anymore, right? And they start punching back on the Yankees. Well, then you create an environment and a culture of, hey, look, we're not, we're not standing down, back down from nobody. So then what happens? Red Sox win no four. And then you create that culture. What happens next? Red Sox win in 07, 13. You keep going on and on. So I believe it has a huge effect. To have the great Buster Olney with us walk down. I mean, it's, it's a, it's, it's, I don't know how you could miss it, Buster. It's only behind like five barricades and whatever. But we're here. We're here looking out at people, Yankee fans, Red Sox fans. All right. So 
again, brass tacks here. Perception of the Boston Red Sox in the uh, in the world outside the six one seven area code. Complete confusion over what they're. Oh, another confusion. I like uh, it. On complete confusion. People scratching their heads over the deals they made at the deadline uh, to trade away an all-star catcher and then to add Tommy Pham. Because the thought was going to the deadline that maybe the Red Sox should try to slide underneath the luxury tax threshold and make a couple moves that would allow them to do that, and that would become the modus operandi. And we're still not sure, even after the fact, exactly what they were trying to accomplish, mm. right? I mean, we've got an explanation from the front office, but the fact is is that if you, you know, add an Eric Hosmer, you add a Tommy Pham, that doesn't square with trading Christian Vasquez. And not getting a reliever, actually trading away a reliever. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, so I, I think people around the sport were confused. Uh, in fact, I, I did a, a column that was posted yesterday on the, in ESPN where someone asked, an executive with another team, asked, what the hell are they doing up there? <laughs> like, it was just, they, they're, they're surprised. And it's in keeping, and, you know, as I worked on the piece, you realize the perception of the team really now all goes through the prism of the Mookie Betts trade. Everything mm -hmm. from Mookie Betts on, it's people trying to figure out exactly what's going on. What do you think's missing here? So uh, you asked me, so, you know, what's the feel here? And I said, listen, Bloom's Q rating is not high right now. And fair or not, I mean, he has had times here, where, especially last year, when they made their run, where like, oh, look at you, you got Pavetta, you got Hunter Renfro, you got these Kike Hernandez. Now it's the complete opposite. And, you know, what do you think is the disconnect? I mean, is it just that, that we feel like this, this Tampa narrative is sort of taking root a little bit too much in Boston? Yeah, and it's not, as you know, it's not completely fair. I mean, the fact is, is that as the Red Sox championship team of 2018 was being built, we were all noting, you were noting, I was noting, man, they're spending a lot of resources. Mm. It's like a, a kid going out before Christmas, or parents for that matter, with a credit card and loading up, and you're like, oh, at some point the bill's going to come due, and it has, yep. and they've been digging themselves out from that. But here's the thing. They're in a position where they could be aggressive. If you assume that Xander Bogarts is going to opt out of the deal after this year, and I think he is, then the only long-term contracts they've left in the books are Chris Sale and Trevor Story, and then one more year left of Matt Barnes. So you do have the flexibility to go out and be aggressive, and I think that's going to be the ne next litmus test for the front office. Huge litmus test. In the offseason, will they go after the big dogs? And until they land one of the big dogs, there's going to be that chatter, you know what, it's changed. And I to Trevor's story, we've talked about this. It doesn't really doesn't isn't the big dog. I mean, that's like a medium sized dog. Right. Exactly. Right? I mean, this he, isn't Bogarts. This is it. Certainly isn't Devers. It's not Betts. No. It's no, not Bogarts. No. And it's not Devers. No. No. And so, all right, Buster Olden of ESPN is joining us. And so, when you talk about that, it's interesting because we were just talking about 2013. So, 2013, they have this, they free up all the money for the Nick Punto trade, right? Our good friend <laughs> Nick Punto. And so, you free up all that money. How are you going to spend it? Josh Hamilton sitting there, everyone, are oh, you going to go up? And no, what they do is they get Victorino, Napoli, Ross, Dempster. But, 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 here's the thing. You can say, well, maybe they'll do the same thing. Two things. Number one, you have to outbid for Victorino and Napoli, which is three year deals, which you're not like, they haven't shown this regime, shown that they're willing to do that. Yeah. And, the fact is that you had the core. You also had core guys, David Ortiz, John Lester, those guys, where now 
those core guys are leaving. I mean, those are the guys who are leaving. So yes. it's not apples to apples here in terms of, hey, we'll get, we'll work around the edges and we'll get these guys and look at what we did in 2013. I think you still have to get the core guys now. Well, and not only be for fan perception, but literally for the team. Like, who are the, what's the bedrock of this team right now? Is it the rotation? Of course not. Is it the bullpen? No, because you and I know that in 2022, bullpens come and go. Mm-hmm. You know, you could have the best bullpen, you could have the worst bullpen at the beginning of the year, and you get the best bullpen at the end, like the Nationals in 2019. Is it the lineup? No, they're 18th in home runs, as you and I talk. Bogarts may well be on his way out. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't know where Devers is going to be in two years. Where's the bedrock? Where are the, if you are a big market team, you know, if you're the Phillies, you got Bryce Harper, you got Kyle Schwarber. If you're the Yankees at the moment, you have Aaron Judge, you have Garrett Cole, uh, you know, the Dodgers, clearly. I mean, geez, they have like eight of those guys. Right. If you're a big market team, who's the guy? And it's very interesting because right now, I think what, the, what I believe the, the Red Sox are trying to do now is essentially to emulate what we've seen in Los Angeles. And you know what? A lot of teams have trying to do that and getting caught in this bind. The Giants, Cubs, and Red Sox are all teams – that are trying to, you know, payroll flexibility, don't get locked in too much long-term deal, pick the right guy, and guess what all three of those teams have? They don't have the core star. And you know what? And going the, you just said it, pick the right guy. I mean, yeah. even, you can say what you want about Trevor Bauer, but he was a good pitcher, you know? And you can say what you want. You're Mookie Best, right guy. They picked yeah. the right guy. And they, they, they're not afraid to spend money. They're not afraid to be aggressive and out, like you said, outbid guys. So one of the things that I think that, when we look at the trade deadline with the Red Sox, it goes under the radar a little bit. Is it about a week before Heimblum tells Xander Bogarts and Rafael Devers, you're not being traded? Which we all like, yay, yay, good, hey, that's super. Yet, as far as we know, no offers were made. No, no more contract talks were had. So I know that public perception, and maybe this comes from ownership, saying we need you to do this to, to keep the fan base happy. But that's not necessarily the right way to do it. If you aren't going to actually use that to, to give a better offer or to see where they're at in terms of offer, then why wouldn't you at least explore? Like this comes back to Mookie's. The Devers situation lines up exactly with Mookie. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Where, where you go into the trade deadline in 2019 and they say, well, we're going to hang on to Mookie. Well, okay, you hang on to Mookie. You get probably less value by trading him in the next offseason. But at least you had made offers. You know where he's going to be at. Here, like, do you agree with me? Like, shouldn't they have at least explored offers for these guys? Um, I think at this point where where the organization is is that they need to pay them. They're going to have to pay a tax for decisions that, they, that they've been making the last two years that have stirred – the unhappiness of the fan base. So I the, think they're going to overreact. What you're talking about is biz, with the, the business side of things is going to start coming into play a little bit more than they thought. I absolutely anticipate that. And a lot of what this column that I wrote yesterday about was the history of John Henry's ownership, which has been wildly successful, mm-hmm. right? Four championships, the renovation of Fenway Park. Uh, it feels that the Red Sox organization generally much more connected with the community than, say, when – you know, I was popping around here in the late 80s mm-hmm. and 90s. Um, but what you've seen time and again is that they will veer. John Henry will veer. A lot. A lot. You know, where uh, we saw Grady Little was the manager. In the ninth inning of an ALCS, one decision, essentially, and he's gone. 
uh, Theo Epstein, who's going to make a speech in Cooperstown someday. He's going to go into the Hall of Fame, generally considered to be the greatest general manager of all time, gone. They couldn't work that out. Ben Charrington takes over, builds a farm system, builds a payroll flexibility, win, wins a championship a year and a half later, gone. Dave Dombrowski's brought in, given all the resources, spends them, does exactly what they want him to do, <laughs> win a championship, and he's gone. And guess what's happening now? Yeah. Like unhappiness is, is beginning to... Well, they also, oh. Buster, it also seems like they chase their tails. Like they think this is the way baseball's going. And with Heimblum, that certainly was the case. Like, this is the way baseball's going. Yeah. Like market efficiency. And, and where Dombrowski, we know that that was the right thing to do. But to your point, <laughs> it was, we'll let you do whatever you want until we don't like what you do. And then we're not going to tell you to do something different. We're just going to fire you. That's exactly right. Yeah. And that's why this winter, it's going to be very interesting. Because you and I were talking outside on the field before. Aaron Judge is going to be a free agent. Mm -hmm. Okay? And by all logic... And, and based on what the Red Sox have been doing the last couple of years, you would never think the Red Sox would get involved in Aaron Judge, okay? But if you're the Red Sox ownership, and let's say that the business side is telling you, this is starting to affect our bottom line, the unhappiness with the direction, you want to make a dent, you want to uh, reinvigorate a fan base, there's no doubt about it. Like, that would change the conversation. That would wipe the Mookie Betts trade right. to the side, Oh, oh, there's, I mean, there's, and there's not a lot of guys in baseball can do that. Right. Right. I mean, so it is going to be interesting because I've said this before. The Devers in the, oh, it's bets is one thing because you still have Bogarts and Devers and some of these other guys yeah. still here. Right. Devers and Bogarts leaves, and this is a simplistic way to look at it, but who's the kids wearing the shirts? They're not wearing story shirts. They're not wearing, uh, you know, Pavetta shirt. Eric Heisman shirt. They're not wearing Eric Heisman shirt. <laughs> they know he's probably going to be on another team. Yeah, next exactly. Spring. I mean, I mean, maybe Cass, Cassis. I don't know, but that that comes to the business side of things. And so this is what I'll ask you. And this is like a, a fantasy baseball simplistic way. You lose. You can't come to terms with Devers. Like we all think that Devers is right or wrong is asking to be considered as a top ten player in the major leagues. That's what he's asking. Don't compare me to a third baseman. Don't compare me to Matt Olson. Don't compare me to anyone. I'm compared to a top 10 player. All right, fine. You're not able to come to terms with him. Bogart sleeves. Do you think it would be a wise decision to go after, for the Red Sox to go after Judge? Uh, 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 first off, I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to undercut your premise by saying I think that they're going to make Devers an offer and can't refuse. can't refuse. I think that the stakes are growing by the day in terms of the importance of re-signing Devers to reverse, to, to, to put that narrative into a box. Mm -hmm. They need to sign Rafi Devers. I think that with Bogarts, he's far enough out the door. He's got one foot out the door in a sense because you know, he can opt out. His agent, Scott Boris, uh, there are going to be other teams. I know they're going to be interested in him. He can get a better deal. The one-year extension offer in the spring, not good no. in terms of stoking that relationship. So I think the pressure will be on the Red Sox to pay Devers. Mm. And as we're sitting here today, I think they will. Okay. 